Oh, what a treat it is to get to be with you today. When I entered into retirement now about uh, close to three years ago, um, my fear was that I was going to lose touch with what was going on out there in the local churches and the feel of getting to be busy for the Lord in the middle of all of that. Do I need to get back down on the floor? No, you've adjusted everything? All right, thanks. You know, I learned when I was pastor at Mira Mesa to be real nice to the people in the sound booth because they have the ability with the turn of one knob to make you look like an idiot. <laughs> so I love you guys. Take good care of me, all right? <laughs> uh, so the privilege to come and preach in a setting like this is just it's a wonderful blessing for me. I hope that the Lord can also allow it to become a blessing for you. Because of having served for that 12 years as the pastor to pastors and pastor to churches, um, I, I did learn that when congregations are in that window between pastors, it, it's a vulnerable time. Um, it's, you're going through grief. You're also facing the uncertainty of what is life going to look like next. And is everything going to be Okay. Uh, but let me just give you some reassurances after having assisted probably 50 churches going through this process over my 12 years as the director of missions for the Southern Baptist churches here in the county. God is still on his throne. Amen. He still has his eye on you. You are his church. And remember, the church is the bride of Christ. So you're not going to get secondhand stuff. God's going to take care of you. He already has the person in mind whom he is going to give to you as your spiritual under-shepherd. And at the appropriate time, he will bring that person to your attention. You will recognize him. He will recognize you. And because that will become then a marriage made in heaven, you won't have to ask God or beg God to bless what happens next. He will be pleased to because it will be his plan. So relax and enjoy this interval of time. Seize the moment to get to know each other and what each one is doing just a little bit better because without a pastor as the point person for making sure that everything is happening, you have to kind of look around to see what needs to be happening that's not and who's doing it or not doing it. Uh, take advantage of this moment to get a little closer to each other. And then when the next pastor has been brought into your midst, uh, love on him, work with him, pray for him, and let's have some errands and hers that will help to hold up the arms of Moses while the battle's going on so that the victory can be had by the whole congregation. And the Lord will look down on you and smile. Okay? All right, that's the mini-sermon. Let's get to the real sermon. If you'll turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. In just a moment, we're going to read together verses 13 through 15. And my message for today is entitled, A Simple Plan, A Simple Tragedy, and A Simple Solution or Task. A Simple Plan, A Simple Tragedy, and A Simple Solution or Task. May I ask you to show your respect for God's word by standing with me for the reading of the Holy Scriptures. 
Romans chapter 10, beginning at verse 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you please note, it does not say they might be. does not say that they can hope that they will be. God gives a promise. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It continues. But how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the minds of those who preach the gospel of peace? No, that's not what it says. How beautiful are the hearts of those who preach the gospel? No, that's not what it says. How beautiful are the lips of those who preach the gospel of peace? No, that's not what it says. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace and who bring glad tidings of good things? Do you see? The virtue is not in knowing. The virtue is not just in the believing The virtue is not just in the being willing to speak that gospel. The real virtue is in making the effort to go to those who need it most and who often don't even know that they need it. That's why it's the feet that God said are beautiful. For those who bring that gospel of peace. Well, let's pause for a moment and ask God's blessing on the hearing of his word. Our Lord and our God, as we gathered here in your presence today, our hearts have been warmed already in our times of praise and prayer. And and now we want to wait expectantly for a fresh word from heaven. And I pray that it may please you to send this word of encouragement, of instruction and challenge to your people today, through me, your undeserving servant. And I ask that you will do this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, be seated, please. A simple plan, a simple tragedy, and a simple solution or task. There may be a few of you who have been around in San Diego long enough to remember that on Thanksgiving Day of 1994, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, through a malfunction in a switching station, 50,000 homes here in San Diego were suddenly left without power. The most inopportune time on this national holiday. The switchboards at SDG&E, even the police department and the local fire departments lit up like Christmas trees with angry callers wanting to report this power outage at the most inopportune time. And you may be thinking, well, of course, I would be angry too if the power went off in the middle of preparing my Thanksgiving lunch or while the family was gathered while we ate our Thanksgiving lunch. But the fact is, by 3 o'clock in the afternoon, most families have already had their Thanksgiving lunch. No, what had people worked up so much was the power went off right in the middle of the Texas and Texas A&M football game. (laughs) Now, CBS had gone to a great deal 
of effort and expense in order to provide that signal to an entire nation of people. They sent their best broadcasters. They sent two tractor-trailer trucks loaded with electronic equipment to collect the signals and to beam them up to the satellite so they could be dropped down to local stations. And people all over the country could sit on Thanksgiving Day and enjoy those Texas Aggies beating those Texas Longhorns. Okay, I, I better be careful. There may be some Texas fans here in the room. If so, uh, there's a row on the very back reserved just for you. <laughs> no, I'm joking, of course. I'm a Tar Heel. I'm a Tar Heel. Um, so, all over the country, there were millions of people that wanted and were using that signal. But for 50,000 people here in San Diego... It was as if none of this happened because the signal did not come through. And I found in that experience a powerful illustration of the truth that's being laid before us here in this passage in Romans. God himself has gone to a great deal of effort and personal expense to make available to us forgiveness for our sins so that we might escape their ugly, awful grip and so that we might be delivered from the sentence of death that it brought and so that we could be restored to a right relationship with the holy God of heaven and experience a new and abundant life for the rest of our days here on this earth and look forward to an eternal life in His presence in heaven when we leave this earth, even to the point of giving His only begotten Son to set aside His rights and His privileges as the very God of the universe and to step down into the world that He created with a spoken word and take on the form of a man and walk among us as one of us so that he could qualify himself to be the perfect sacrifice, and then present himself to be despised and rejected by the very people that he had come to save and pour out his precious blood as the perfect sacrifice. To not simply cover our sins as the blood of animal sacrifices in the Old Testament had done, but to cleanse us from that sin. Yes, God went to a lot of trouble and a lot of expense. All over this world, there are millions of people who have heard that message and have gladly received it. In fact, probably most of you sitting in this room this morning have done so and are delighting right now in that spirit-filled life and looking forward to a glorious eternity in heaven. But for millions of others, who have never heard that there's anything wrong in their life, who don't even realize that they're under a sentence of spiritual death, or that God has gone to such effort in order to reach them and redeem them and restore them. It's as if it never happened. It does them no good because the message has not gotten through. So please let that thought linger as the foundation underneath everything else that's said today as we talk about a simple plan, a simple tragedy, 
and a simple solution or task. Let's begin by saying that God has a simple plan for the salvation of the world. Every man and every woman that has ever sinned against God and found themselves separated, God has a plan for their salvation. And it's found right here in our scripture text today. Verse 13. For whoever shall call on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't matter how many sins you've committed, whether a lot or just a few. It doesn't matter whether those sins were really ugly or whether they were simple and innocuous little things. It doesn't matter how religious we are, whether we've been raised in church all of our life or whether we've never even been to church. In fact, it doesn't even matter if we have been engaged in worshiping some different God. His plan is still the same. That if you will simply call out to him in sincere repentance, asking forgiveness for your sin, and in sincere faith, asking Jesus to come into your life, God delivers a promise. He says, you'll be saved. It's that simple. In 2001, I was attending our National Southern Baptist Convention in New Orleans, Louisiana. And it was while the convention was in session that in Oklahoma, Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma City bomber, you may have noticed it in today's paper, this is the anniversary of the bombing. But the time came for him to answer for what he had done, and he was executed. CNN thought it would be interesting to see what the largest Protestant denomination in the country had to say about this. So they sent one of their news people down to interview James Meredith, who that year was the president of our Southern Baptist Convention. Some of you may have seen the little interview on a snippet of CNN that night. The question they put to him was this. What do you think happened to Timothy McVeigh after he died? And his answer was, well, from all that I could see, he went to hell. Because right up to the very last minute, he was still defiant and totally unrepentant about what he had done. And the interviewer was ready to move on to the next question, but he interrupted him. But if he had recognized the wrongness of what he did and sincerely called out to God to forgive him, and sincerely invited Jesus to come into his life, he would have been just as saved as Mother Teresa. And he was right. Because you see, God doesn't save us because we deserve it. He saves us because we need it. And we can't get it anywhere else. And in order to receive it, we simply have to admit that we need it. And receive God's channel for it, which is His Son, Jesus. It's a very simple plan. Anybody, everybody can be saved. Now, you're probably thinking, oh, with such a simple plan as that, 
the whole world is going to be saved. Wrong. You and I both know that not everybody is happy in this world and not everybody is going to go to heaven when they die. Some people are just enjoying the pleasures of this world too much. And they're going through life dragging all of that ugly wickedness with them. And they're enjoying it. The Bible's not naive. It says, yes, there's pleasure in sin. Anybody that tells you that there's not, it's foolish. Oh, yeah, there's pleasure in sin. But sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. So they're, they're dragging that sin with them through life, and they don't want to give it up. And so they push God aside. There are other people who somewhere in their past, something happened. They asked God to do something for them, or they went through some crisis in their personal or their family's life, and they, they wanted God to wave his celestial wand and just make it all go away. And you see, we live in a broken world. This is not the world as God created it. That was all tarnished and ruined when Adam brought sin into the equation. And that sin has been picked up by every man and woman since then. And it's broken the world and how it operates. The moral fabric was torn. Even nature itself was brought under a curse. So God doesn't always wave his celestial wand and make all of these awkward, painful situations go away just because we ask him to. And, and there are some folks that went through those moments and God didn't answer the way they were expecting. And, and they're mad at him. They're mad at him. And they're going through life shaking their fist in God's face and saying, just stay away from me and leave me alone. But you know... The simple tragedy is there are far, far more who are still under the sentence of spiritual death, separated from God, missing out on the abundant life here and now and never going to experience the eternal life in heaven. Not because they've got too much sin to let go of, not because they're mad at God about something, but rather simply because they don't know anything's wrong. They don't know that anything in their life is out of order. They don't realize they're under that sentence of spiritual death or that God has gone to such expense and effort to give them a way out and to experience these other not just good, but so much better things. They don't know it. They've never heard. The message has not gotten through. What a tragedy that is. When I was pastor at First Baptist Church, Mira Mesa, there in the mid-90s, at one of our church council planning sessions, we had been doing these fall festivals at Halloween time for years for the children and drawing some pretty decent crowds. Anywhere from seven to 800 kids would show up for them. And we had a blast doing it. And we loved serving the children. But our thought was, we need something for the youth. And we need something for adults too. And we talked about the possibility of a, a concert. and That's so ordinary. Everybody does concerts. We need something different that stands out. And our youth director, Randy Fields, said, you know what, Pastor? 
At Halloween, people like to get scared. So if they like to be scared, let's scare the hell out of them. And so we went out into our back parking lot, and we constructed a series of 14 rooms. In seven of those rooms, we called them the judgment rooms. We captured a handful of those awesome judgments that the book of Revelation describes are going to fall on the world at the end of this age when God finally says, I've had enough from a world that my son died to redeem but has remained in rebellion against me. And now, that's it. I'm done. And then there were seven rooms where we tried to capture some of the things that will be going on in heaven with all of the believers that have been gathered before the throne of God and receiving the reward for all of those earthbound labors. And after you'd been through all 14 of these rooms, in order to get out and get back to your car, you had to pass through what we called the debriefing rooms. There were three of them. They were counseling rooms. We set them down. They went through in groups of 10 to 15. Couldn't get more than that in the little rooms at the time. And there were three of us there that worked the rooms, and every seven minutes another batch came through. So we had to be on point. And I'm telling you what I told Howard over breakfast years ago. I witnessed to more unsafe people eyeball to eyeball in that first night than I had witnessed to eyeball to eyeball in the last 10 years as a pastor. And when they came through that debriefing room, we quickly put in perspective all of those things they had just seen out of the book of Revelation and explained to them that God's plan for them to be delivered from that experience would be to repent of sin and believe on Jesus Christ and gave them the opportunity to be saved. Oh, and then the Union and Tribune picked it up. Two of the three network affiliate stations in San Diego came out and did interviews. Three of the radio stations in San Diego, the Los Angeles Times, they're all on top of this thing. This is so new. You know, we're drawing three to 5,000 people. And the year that we hit 5,000 was the year that Halloween fell on Friday night. And we were closing at 12 o'clock the three evenings that we had the Revelation House open. And on that Friday night, Halloween itself, at midnight, one of the yard workers came into the room where I was counseling and said, Pastor, we've got a problem. Said, uh, we've still got hundreds of people in line out here waiting to go through the Revelation House. And two buses just pulled up, one from Orange County, one from Los Angeles. And they say they're not going home until they go through the Revelation House. So what am I going to tell them? I said, tell them to come on through the Revelation House. So we were there till 3 o'clock in the morning on Saturday morning. Somewhere around 1 o'clock in the morning, I do not know how it came to pass. We theorized that there was a group of about 100 students from the campus of UCSD who came together in multiple cars but arriving at about the same time and passed through the Revelation House. We assumed they had been out to a ball game, to a party or something. It ended. They didn't want to go home. They're trying to decide what can we do still. And somebody remembered seeing on television, hearing on the radio or reading in the newspaper about this Revelation House out in Mira Mesa. So here they came. That's our best guess. But as they made their way through and into the counseling rooms, 
when the three of us counselors sat down finally at three o'clock to catch our breath and have a cup of coffee and began comparing notes. That's when we realized what had transpired. And virtually every group of those students, when we finished our little presentation, had the same question, asking slightly different words, but the same question. But what happens to the Buddhist or the Hindu or the Muslim or even the pantheist that worships a rock or a tree? That's never heard this message of Jesus. What happens to them? And I had the unfortunate duty to tell them that unfortunately they're without hope. Because the Bible is very plain that all of us are without excuse. God has revealed himself to all flesh, according to the book of Romans chapter 1. First in nature and second through the promptings of his Holy Spirit. And now in this latter age of history through his son Jesus Christ. But whether you've heard of Jesus or not. And then went on to tell us that many men did not like what their spirit was telling them and what nature was showing them about this true and living God. And so they created other gods more to their own liking. And the response, slightly different words, but pretty much the same across every room and every little group of the students that came through was, how unfair! Because surely many of those people would have been just as glad to believe in Jesus if they knew about him as the people who were blessed to grow up in a Christian community. I had to tell them I couldn't agree with them that it was unfair because God is a just and a righteous God and he does all things decently and in order. So says the Holy Scriptures. But I did have to agree with them that it was so unnecessary and such a waste of human souls and worse still, such a waste of the blood of Jesus Christ that was poured out so that all men could experience that forgiveness of sin and new life through him. Just a tragedy. Are you maybe sitting there thinking, I'm so glad that I don't live in one of those Pacific Islands or one of those Asian nations or Middle Eastern countries where, you know, the gospel is not well known and circulated. I'm glad that I live right here in the United States of America where everybody's heard the gospel. Ah, wrong. You realize that the cultural anthropologists and the social demographers are telling us that we are now raising the second generation of our children who have largely been raised outside of church and for whom the most basic Bible stories and simple but essential Bible truths are completely unknown. Oh, it's true that you can turn on your radio or your television at any hour of the day or night. And you can find somebody preaching that gospel. But trust me on this. Those that don't know about God are not watching those stations. They're not listening to those channels. So we have a tragedy on our hands too. So what's the solution?
found here in our scriptures. How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? You know, hearken back to your sixth grade English grammar class. A rhetorical question is not a question that is asked to gather information. The answer is already known. It's a literary vehicle. It's like an exclamation point. It's like I'm asking a question. The answer is so obvious that everybody knows what it is. And so these are rhetorical questions. The Apostle Paul is not in the Lord's behalf asking us to sort through all this and come up with an answer. Basically, he's saying the answer is so obvious, everybody knows what it is. They can't believe in someone that they haven't heard about, and they can't hear unless somebody proclaims it to them, and they can't proclaim it unless somebody has sent them. So even though there's a simple plan for the whole world to be saved and a simple tragedy in that they can't believe if they don't know, the simple solution is go and tell. Go and tell. What does that look like? It means we have to be willing to give up our children when God touches their hearts for international missions. And in particular, when he calls them to one of those troubled spots of the world where life is very dangerous, if they even claim the name of Jesus, much less speak it publicly, we have to be willing to give them up. We have to give so that we can help to send the missionaries. We have to give in order to help deploy the church planters even here in our own country so that every community and every nation can have that opportunity to hear and thus be saved. And we need to be ready to go ourselves in those short-term mission trips. Some of them nearby. Some of them a little further out. Some of them way out. So that we can be part of the answer to that prayer. Come over and help us, they cried. Oh, you will experience very few joys in your life that will equal that personal satisfaction when you have invested a week of your life, a vacation time that you could have been lounging on the beach or climbing a rock-faced mountain, going to some needy area of the world. I'm speaking spiritually needy, not necessarily physically needy, but going to a needy area of the world to help represent Jesus, working alongside of career missionaries who've planted their life there and will still be there after you're gone, but who can use help to push things a little further. Are you ready? Are you willing to do this? And then, oh boy, here's where we start getting personal. You have a network. Family, friends, fellow students, neighbors, that God has placed you in their midst and you share some piece of life with them and you are in a unique setting to represent Jesus to them. I reminded the dear people at my congregation in Mira Mesa you are the hands and feet of our Lord to our community. I spend 90% of my time every week interacting with born-again, Bible-believing, church-going Christians. 
That's the nature of being a pastor. We're helping to deploy those that go out there into the world, in the workplace, in the school settings, onto the playgrounds, into the neighborhoods, and who will represent Jesus there. You are the ones who are representing Jesus out there in the world. So, okay, you're thinking, I haven't been called, I haven't been sent. When the Bible uses the word preach here, it simply means to proclaim. It doesn't mean to do what I'm doing right now when I stand in front of a group and exhort in some dramatic fashion. It simply means to declare something that you know to be true and have experienced. That's exactly what it means. And you may not have been ordained. You may not have been sent out by some missionary agency. But you have been called, you've been appointed and sent by none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. When in the Great Commission, he said that we were to go proclaim the gospel to all flesh. You can't get your orders any higher up than that. We've got to do it. And now, let me look you in the eye as a church and say, God has planted you here on Coronado Island for a purpose. Part of that purpose is to nurture you in your faith so that you can grow closer to God and enjoy His presence and His blessings and benefits even more. But if that's as far as your walk and work with Him goes... That's very self-centered. You would not be proud of your children if they only thought about themselves all the time. God has planted you as a church here to help reach this whole community for Jesus. Now, I realize that you live in one of the more difficult areas of town for trying to do the Lord's work. Oh, you don't live in a poverty-stricken area like Barrio Logan or City Heights. You live in an area that is very affluent. And most of the people who live here believe they've already experienced the good life. And many of them do not believe that they need anything else. But if they die without Jesus, they will go to the same hell as Timothy McVeigh. We have to find a way. You have to find a way. You have to get on your face before God. Enter into His presence. Go there often enough. Linger there long enough that you can begin to feel what's in His heart. That you can know what's on His mind for His community here in Coronado. And how He wants you to help Him reach that community. And as you seek Him with all of your heart, He will reveal those things to you. And you'll begin to get a plan that will form up. And you can reach them. You know I mean? Well, you just admitted this is a tough place to do church work. To try to represent Jesus because everybody is really satisfied. You may have given up on them because you think that they're enjoying the sinful pleasures of this world too much. Or because even if they're not into sinful pleasures, they've gotten caught up in the world and all of its trinkets. And they don't have time or interest in God anymore. Yeah, it's easy to think that. It really is. You know, it's easy to think that even with family members. When you've watched them for years uh, out there doing all those stupid things, 
Or when you've begged them to come with you to church and they say, no, don't need that. You can reach that point where you decide God doesn't care about them anymore. He's not interested in them. Oh, my goodness. How that breaks his heart for us to even entertain such a thought. No one is beyond his reach. No one. Don't be presumptuous and give up on anyone. I want to end the message this morning with a, a true story. In 1999, before I became the director of missions for our San Diego Southern Baptist Association, our then director of missions, Wade McKinley, asked me to go to the Georgia Baptist Convention and represent San Diego in a newly formed partnership where they were going to send out mission teams to assist our churches, both in San Diego and Tijuana, to expand their work. And so I went. And on Sunday night, they had a pastor's conference, and I slipped in from the exhibit area to listen to Mac Brunson, who at that time was pastor of First Baptist Church, Dallas, Texas. That was at that time the largest Southern Baptist church. No, it was the second largest, sort of saddleback, in our Southern Baptist convention. He preached every Sunday morning to almost 14,000 people. I wouldn't hear what this man had to say. In the course of his sermon, he told this true story. I think I'll be reasonably accurate with it. I've told it probably two dozen times over the years. When the Berlin Wall fell and the communist countries that had once been closed to outside influences and in particular the Christian gospel were thrown open, he decided that First Baptist Dallas needed to get there and be one of the first ones. And so they organized a mission trip. Had over 150 members who raised the money or just took it out of their bank accounts because it's a very wealthy church. And were planning to go spend a full week in the Ukraine. And they had a plan. They were going to be going out into all these little outlying villages and communities throughout the day. And they were going to be knocking on doors and... With translators, they were going to be sharing the gospel. And they were going to come back every night to a different one of the little small churches in town. And they were going to have a celebration service, introducing all the new believers and baptizing those that were ready to do that. And they were pretty excited. This was going to be a big deal. And about uh, three weeks before time for them to go, his 11-year-old son came into his office and announced that he wanted to go too. And Pastor Max said, you know, the last thing on this earth I wanted to do while going to the Ukraine, a country that had been under communist rule for 40 plus years and where the gospel had been outlawed and trying to do missionary work with an 11-year-old boy to keep up with. I just didn't want the aggravation. So I said, no, you can't go. And he went over his head. He went to his mother. And Max said, my wife came to me and she said, honey, we've got a problem. Our son's heart is very tender and he has already begun to consider the possibility that God may be calling him to the mission field. And if on this very first desire and opportunity to go represent God in a mission setting, you slam the door in his face, it may be over and it'll be your fault. So he thought about it and thought about it and thought of it. And then he arrived at what he thought was a Solomonic solution. He invited his son into his office 
sat him down across the table from him and said, Well, son, I understand you want to go with us on this mission trip. And I've talked with your mother about it, and I believe that we need to give you the same opportunity that we gave everybody else. But you have to do it the same way everybody else. You have to raise your own money. And he knew that in three weeks, an 11-year-old boy is not going to be able to raise $3,200 or $3,400. But he had not counted upon (laughs) the inside track that a pastor's son has in a church that runs 14000 on Sunday morning. And within a week, he had pledges for the whole amount. And Pastor Mac said, I was stuck. So the son went with them on the mission trip. They got to the Ukraine. They met the people that they were going to be working with for the first five days, Monday through Friday. 150 of these adults, accompanied by a little boy just tagging along, fanned out in groups of two with a translator and went house to house, community after community, little town after little town, sharing the gospel, and came back together each night at a different small local church without a single new believer to show off or to baptize. Not one. Saturday came and Pastor Max said, I was so discouraged, I was so defeated, I decided there's no reason for us to waste another day. These people just aren't interested in the gospel. And so we're going to make it a shopping day. We're going into a little town And we're going to do some souvenir shopping. So they all headed into town. Well, there was a little town square, grassy area with a couple of park benches in the middle, and then a group of shops around the outside edges that would have been the equivalent of a shopping center in a much bigger setting. And as in most places where tourists gather, you know, you've been there. You go into the second store, and you've already seen everything in the first store. Third store, you've seen everything already in the first and the second store now. And so it didn't take the young son but about two or three stores to announce he was bored. He asked permission if he could go out and sit on the park bench in the middle of the courtyard, easily visible from every store they were going to be in, and wait for them to finish. Dad said, sure. Well, he kept peeking out at him to make sure everything was okay, and after a little while he noticed that an elderly gentleman had also showed up out there in the little courtyard and had sat down on the park bench next to his son. And as he came out of the next door, he saw that they were engaged in very intense conversation. And Pastor Brunson said, it flashed in my head, oh no, I'll bet my son is trying to witness to this man. And he has spent an entire life under a communist atheist government. And he is going to say something mean and rude and crush the spirit of my son after I've worked so hard to keep it soft and pliable. So he decided, I've got to get out there and get him out of that situation before something bad happens. So across the grass he started, and when he got within earshot, his worst fears were realized. That's exactly what was happening. His son was pouring out his heart to this older gentleman. Later he discovered he was 87 years old. He said, when I stepped out, so that I could face the man. I put my arm around my son so that he would know, my kid, I'm here now. You better not say or do anything that's going to hurt him. And as I did for the first time, I was able to look into his face. And he said, oh, I'm a preacher. I've used ministerial exaggeration. I have talked many times 
about people having tears streaming down their face when there were no tears. They were just emotionally intense. And that was a figure of speech to illustrate it. But he said there were no figures of speech needed. And that 87-year-old man's weather-beaten face, tears were just flowing. And he looked up at me, and in his broken English, he said, I have spent the last 70 years of my life being told that there is no God. But I knew there had to be. And now, God has sent an 11-year-old boy 13,000 miles to tell me his name is Jesus. And Pastor Mac had the honor of leading that man in the sinner's prayer. The only one out of the entire region that came to faith through the simple but sincere testimony of an 11-year-old boy. Now, my parting question to you is, first personally and then collectively as a church, how many people are sitting on the park benches of your life, at your family gatherings, at the playing field, at school, and here in the community around this church, have you given up on? Because you've decided they're beyond God's reach. They've gotten so deep into sin or they've gotten so used to a life without God that there's just no reaching them anymore. How many have you given up on? That God hasn't. And He's still waiting and counting on you to be the one that will present Jesus to them. You can do this. Because God is ready to help you as he did that little 11-year-old boy. Simple plan. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. A simple tragedy. How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? Simple solution. How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? Well, they can't. But you've been called. You've been sent by none other than Jesus Christ himself. Let's get busy. Let's get busy. Heaven sits on the edge of its seat watching to see what you do next. Don't disappoint God. Make him smile. And now, as the end of the sermon, as we get ready to move to the closing song, it's a song of invitation. Perhaps while I was sharing this word, you came to realize I am one of those people who is still living under the sentence of spiritual death. And I still do not know Christ personally as my Savior. I want to change that today. You can, you know. It is as simple as calling out to God to ask forgiveness and to invite Jesus into your life. And in just a moment, I'm going to lead a simple prayer out loud that you can whisper along with me if you're sincere and That'll take care of business. You can get that start. All the rest of your life you'll spend discovering and experiencing the rest of it, but you can get started right now and today. Perhaps it's time for you to take that next step of believer's baptism or to become a member of this church family so you can be part of its work to reach the Coronado community. 
You know, when I served a military church, as I shared with somebody earlier, there was one point at which almost 70, close to 80% of the attendance at our church in Mira Mesa was military. They're constantly coming and going. We understood that. But we urged them, sink roots while you're here. Belong. Feel part. Let us feel responsible for you. You help to feel responsible for us, and together let's feel responsible for the communities that surround us. You can come today and request that membership. I'm sure that the congregation will be happy to receive you into their fellowship. And if there's anything else that you need to pray about, whether rededicating your life to our Lord, or just praying about some personal need, I'm going to stand over to the side. And so if there's anything that I can pray and talk with you about, just come on down. I'll promise not to embarrass you. Won't make you give any public speeches. I'll take off the microphone so that nobody hears what we say except you and me and God. And let's take care of his business. Okay? Now that prayer I promised you. If you have never made this commitment of your life to believe in and follow after Jesus, and you'd like to do it now, I am about to offer a simple, a short prayer that if you would like to become a believer and follower of Jesus today, you can whisper this prayer along with me. I don't care whether you say it out loud. God doesn't listen to what comes out of your mouth. He cares about what comes out of your heart. So if you think about the words when you either whisper them or form them in your mind and really mean them, God will receive this as your prayer. So let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Let me lead the prayer. Pray along with me, whether inside your mind or whisper it if you wish. Dear God, I know that I have sinned. I have broken your laws. And I am sorry. I ask you to forgive me. And Jesus, I do love you. And I ask you to come into my life. And I promise that the best that I can, I will love you and I will live for you for the rest of my life. Thank you for hearing my prayer, for forgiving my sin, and for accepting me as your child. Amen. If you say that prayer along with me, I do encourage you. It's not, not essential, but I do encourage you. While the worship team is leading us in our closing song, come on up and let me know about it. Let me have a moment to pray with you personally. Get that sealed and nailed down. And any of these other needs that you may have, I'll be glad to talk with you about it. Okay, I'm going to step down. Now, the rules that I had at Mira Mesa are going to be applied right now. I've done my preaching. So once the singing starts, there's no more talking from me. I won't be pleading and begging. So if the Spirit's telling you to do something, you just do it and do it now.